If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, if you could turn to Luke chapter 6, this is going to be our, uh, the text that Josh is going to be pre- uh, preaching out of. So if you turn there, I'll read this for us, and then Josh will come and preach. Luke 6, verses 43 through 49. Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But, when the, one, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. This is God's word. Thank you, Joseph. Good morning, you guys. It is so good to see you. Uh, You have no idea. Uh, It's just great to see some faces, um, to see real people, and not just Anthony's face, so which is pretty much what I've seen, which is it's a good face, but uh, it's great to see yours. Um, I'm just, I too just want to echo what's been said uh, by Joe and others. Just, I'm really grateful to God that he's provided this place for us, you know, just how we were praying for months, just, okay, where could we meet if we can and that kind of thing. And so just, we want to be grateful to God that he's provided this place for us. And also just, I'm thankful that the, we were able to see some progress here. This is, this is wonderful. So um, if you hadn't yet, please open your Bible to Luke chapter six, uh, like Joe just read for us. That's going to be the text that we're looking at this morning together uh, as we continue on in our study through Luke. Um, Today, we come to the end of Luke's retelling of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Um, We've heard some radical and challenging preaching from Jesus, and if we truly receive his teaching and we embrace it in our lives, our lives will look radically different, very, very different. And I think for a lot of us, uh, you may have even said this yourself, you've heard other people say this, that we, we often hear Christians say that we need to kind of really um, conform to this world as much as we can so that we can be more effective in sharing the gospel, that we need to not stand out too much from the world um, because we don't want to appear too weird because then maybe the gospel will seem irrelevant to people. I understand the sentiment and yeah, that we shouldn't be weird uh, just for being weird's sake. You know, that's, that's not a good strategy. But here's the thing. If you take Jesus's words into your life, uh, you'll be a weird person and uh, you will stand out. That's just a fact. I mean, just, just look at what Jesus has been saying to us uh, throughout this Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he's basically in these Beatitudes has, has mentioned that people who are blessed are people who don't find their hope totally in this world, right? But their hope is in the next kind of idea. He pronounces woes on people who live just for this world, like that's, that's what they're living for. And he says, you, will have, you have your full, right? But one day you will see that that's all you have. He then tells people to love their enemies, to do good to people who hate you. 
Um, he tells them to pray for others who abuse you and bless those who curse you. I mean, that is not at all what we see in this world, not at all. all right, and then he talks to people and saying, hey, uh, first take the, the piece of timber, that huge log, take that out of your own eye before you ever would examine the speck that is in somebody else's eye. I mean, these are radically different things. This is very weird, very weird to the world. And today we come to the conclusion of his teaching, and his emphasis here is on what you and I do with his teaching. It's not the teaching itself, but what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Guys, Jesus' teaching isn't meant to be entertained by. It's not intended just to give you some good food for thought. It's, it's not intended to merely be something that you know and you can recite. It's meant to be treasured in your heart, and it's meant to be the ground beneath your feet. And if it is, that will be exposed. And if it's not, that will be exposed as well. And so these are kind of the two things that we see here. I don't know. I don't have the iPad, so I don't know what will be on the screen for you or not. There's really only a couple things that could be on the screen, but it's, it's pretty simple and clear here. Jesus is exposing what our treasure is in verses 43 and 45, and he's exposing what our foundation is in verse 46 through 49. So let's look at the first thing that he's exposing for us, and that's kind of asking, what is our treasure? Look at verse 43 again. I'll read this, 40, 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So Jesus goes really logical on us here in verses 43 to 44. He says, you don't go to a thorn bush and try to get figs. You don't go to a bramble bush and try to get grapes. Okay, so figs and grapes were two of the most natural agricultural products of Jesus' day. Thorns and thistles were universally believed to be very troublesome for farmers. Okay, so what Jesus is doing, essentially, is he's taking very known things that are good and known things that are bad. Okay, so I'm not familiar too much with bramble bushes and all this kind of stuff, but the idea is, is still the same, right? He's saying, basically, you don't go to an apple tree hoping to get bananas or something. You know, like, you know that that's revealing what is there. And so Jesus is essentially saying to you and me, there's two trees in life. You're either one or the other. Right? He's talking about people. He's talking about you and me. And he's saying this much is clear in agriculture, and it's equally true in our lives. If I'm good, that's what he says, and you have to define what is good. Okay, so good here, which what Jesus is talking about, it's not a subjective thing. This isn't like, whatever I prefer is good. This isn't me saying, I think biscuits and gravy are good, and you're like, well, I don't like biscuits and gravy. You know, that's not, that's a subjective good thing, right? He's not talking about that. He's talking about good and evil from the vantage point of God. So, what would God say is good? What would God say is evil? What would be against God, his will, his ways, his character, right? This is good and evil. He's saying, if I'm good and that which I treasure is good, which in the context of this sermon is Jesus' teaching, He's saying, then what I will bear is good, right? It's pretty logical. Contrast that with evil. If I am evil, meaning I'm against God, I want to do my own thing. If I treasure that which is evil, meaning that which is against God, that which is just of the world, right, doing my own thing, I'm going to produce something that's bad, right? That which is not of God, that is which of the world. So Jesus is talking about our hearts, 
And he wants us to ask, what is our treasure? What is our treasure? Well, what is treasure? Okay. Well, a treasure is something that you hold dear, right? It's something that you will protect. It's something that you admire. You might even hide it. It's something what? It's something that you value. Right? That's what a treasure is. And Jesus says, if you want to know your treasure, one litmus test is to look at your words. It says, out of the abundance of your heart, which is what he's saying is what you'll treasure, your mouth speaks. The idea is that what you experience downstream is revealing what's at the source, right? We, we get this kind of idea. So if Jesus is wanting us to examine ourselves in this way, we must be asking ourselves, what do my words reveal about my treasure? What do your words reveal about your treasure? Do you complain a lot? Do you defend yourself every time someone tries to point out something difficult about you? Do you speak well of others? Or do you gossip about other people and their junk? Do your words reek of love? Right? Do they have the aroma that you are a person at peace and the peace that you have, you didn't get it from you? Are, you, are, are your words breathing in a way that is exposing the unshakable hope that you have, the joy that you have? Are your words filled with patience? Do they take on the shape of kindness? Are they self-controlled? Have you really taken this teaching of Jesus seriously, examining the fruit of your life, your words, even to determine what's true about you, right? Who you really are. Just to be clear, Jesus' remarks here are not designed to examine individual moments in your life. You know, like maybe you'd had a really bad day yesterday and you kind of blew up in a certain way and you kind of look at that and you're like really hard on yourself if you're that kind of person and you look at that and you go, see, I'm, that was evil, I'm evil, but just let's burn the place down. You know, I'm the worst person in the world. You know, you beat yourself up, okay? I'm not saying let's avoid and not think about those moments where we act in those ways because we're still acting in that way, but Jesus is really talking about patterns in your life. Through a pattern, long life, walking with God, what is the fruit? What's the pattern of your life? And what are your words revealing about that pattern? Guys, the pattern is revealing what you treasure. How can I know the character of a person? Check the fruit. The fruit from our lives reveals who we are. If, if we see the disconnect between our claims and our fruit, and you're discouraged about it, or, or you're convicted about it, you might go, well, how in the world do I change? How can I bear a different kind of fruit? And Jesus is telling you, you need a different treasure. It's coming from your treasure. You have to treasure something else. When I was a really young boy, um, my grandparents made me a chest. And on the, the top of the chest, they painted a 49ers helmet. So it's great. Uh, we just moved and someone put an X in tape over that. I need to find out who that person was. But um, I had this chest and I called it my treasure chest since I was a little kid. And uh, I would put things in there that I treasured, you know, so in there is kind of some autographed baseballs, some old sports magazines from my dad from the 50s, you know, random things, three silver dollars. I won a coloring contest when I was five years old from my town. It's a small town, but I won a coloring contest and I've saved those silver dollars and I put them in my treasure chest. Okay, these were things as a kid, I just thought, this is, this is, my, this is my life right here. 
And now when I open up that treasure chest and I look through those things, I feel like I'm just kind of going on a walk down memory lane. You know, not that I would say this thing is bad or I don't think this thing is valuable in any way at all, but I don't value them at all in the same way. It's called my treasure chest, but it's not, it's not my treasure. My, my treasure in life has changed. What I'm saying is I wonder how many of us have locked in on what we say and know that we should say in terms of what our treasure is. Like if you weren't comfortable with me this morning, you'd say, oh, my treasure is Jesus. But when we open up that chest and we look through the gospel, we look at Christ and what he's done for us, we examine his words, it feels more like a walk down memory lane. Something that at one point maybe was the nearest and dearest thing to my heart. And now I've moved on to something else. Guys, you can't treasure what you don't want. You can't treasure what you don't desire. And you can't desire the radically different things of God if God hasn't radically transformed your heart. That's the point. You've got to become a whole different tree. You can't leave here today and say, let's get rid of that fruit and throw it away. And I'm going to try hard to produce a different fruit. Just like if you had an apple tree in your yard and you didn't like apples, you don't just go outside and rip all the apples off and go buy a bunch of bananas from the store and tie them to the limbs of the branches and say, look, right, it's a banana tree now. Right? It might look like a banana tree for a day or two, just like your life might look when you just go out and try to produce a different kind of fruit, but eventually what's going to happen? The bananas are going to wither, they're going to fall, and the next season, apples are going to come out. And I could be in denial. I can look at the apples and say, it's not an apple tree. It's really not an apple tree, but it is an apple tree. It is. So, so how do you get a different DNA, so to speak? How do you get radically transformed? That's what Jesus talks about next, in a way. It's the foundation in your life. This is what the next thing is that's exposed here. Look in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So Jesus calls you a tree, and now he calls you a house, okay? During the time that Jesus would be giving the sermon, an illustration like this would be pretty vivid. It would make perfect sense. Because if you were to go build a house in the Palestinian desert, a place where there would be a lot of quick approaching storms, flash floods, people knew that if you were going to build a house, you'd have the builder dig deep below the soil to the point where they finally hit the rock, and then you would build the foundation, if you didn't do that, if you were more lazy or something like that, a flash flood would come, it would destroy your house. So people who are hearing this are like, oh yeah, we get this idea, okay? I'm guessing most of us have not laid a foundation in our life though, okay? But we know this too. It's the foundation that our houses are built upon that's most important, even though it's not the thing that we all see, even though it's not the thing that you're most attracted to. It's the thing that's most important. Why? Because over time, if the foundation is bad, right, that house is eventually going to fail. Did it matter what the house looked like on the outside? Eventually it will crumble. It'll fall. Uh, it was probably eight years ago or something. Me and my wife were looking to buy a house in Corvallis. And we had a really, you know, really small budget. You know, there wasn't many houses that were actually in our price range. And this one came in, our, on, in our price range 
that was in this really nice part of town. It was a really big house. It was kind of like this just really cool old house. We were like, man, this is amazing. And we went in on this tour. We looked around the whole house. It was incredible. And we're like, how was this house this cheap? We finally get to the end. We're like, we love the house. Pretty ready to buy it even right now. Uh, what's the prop? Why is it so cheap? And the person finally told us, well, it's because the foundation's really, really bad. You'd have to replace the foundation. And that's going to cost you many six-digit figures of cash. And me and my wife didn't look at each other and go, oh, that's okay. You know, like, we're fine. You know, we'll still just live in this house, right? We couldn't even technically do that. No one would give us money for it. But even if we decided we want to buy this house, we didn't. Why? Because even me and my wife, who know nothing about foundations, know that you don't want to buy a house with a bad foundation. Because when the big one hits, you know, the one that you're all afraid of, you know, uh, that's not going to be good. No matter what was cool about the house, it's going to go away. So, so how do you build a good foundation in life? Well, Jesus is saying here at the beginning, verse 46, our words may reveal our treasure, but you know as well as I do, we can flippantly use them. We know how to talk, right? We know how to perform. And Jesus says, you can call me Lord. You can call me Lord, but if I'm only Lord in word, but you don't do what I'm asking you to do, then am I really Lord? Am I really Lord? I once heard somebody say, we are educated beyond our obedience. I find that to be very true in my life. I'm sure you do as well. And that's what Jesus is challenging here for us. The houses look pretty identical. We, have, we know no difference between the houses, really. We don't know. But we know the difference between them is what you do with Jesus' words. Whether or not you put them into practice or bring them into your heart and do something with them. But let's not neglect the fact that the first step Jesus calls you to is hearing. Let's not miss that part. What does he say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words. Before you can obey, you guys, you have to hear. You have to hear. Hearing means to understand or at least seek to understand. You must be hearing the words of Jesus in order to even obey Jesus, in order to have a sure foundation in your life. So I must ask you, are you seeking to hear from God right now? Are you actually seeking to hear from God? And in your listening, are you listening in such a way that you're wanting to do something with that? Do you want to do something with that? I think this is something that is troublesome for us today. We must be careful not to gloss over even a question like this. Our minds and our thoughts and our ears are bombarded with words and ideas. Every moment of every day, nothing seems quiet anymore. We are receiving information all the time, and most of the time we don't plan to do anything with it other than to like escape for a second, other than to feel really angry or frustrated or irritated or something. We don't plan to do much with it. We are used to hearing and not doing. That feels normal and scary. We must first hear. So are you seeking to hear from God? Second, are you seeking to put his words into practice? That's the bedrock of this foundation. It's actually obedience. The mark of a Christian is then somebody who's teachable. It's somebody who's seeking to be taught and is actually doing something with that, is being transformed by it. I mean, it's like the example of if I told my kids today, hey, go clean your room. And they said, for sure, got it. And then an hour later, I came back to the room and it was a disaster still. I would say, hey, I thought I told you to clean your room. I can't imagine if my kids said to me, oh, no, no, we heard you right? We even sat around in a circle, 
and we each recited it to each other. We each were like, hey, what did dad say? Dad said, go clean your room. Got it. Okay, your turn. Okay, dad said, go clean your room. Nailed it. Okay, your turn. Let's do that. And then once we nailed that, you know, we, we sat down and we, we just thought about what would a clean room look like? Oh, that would be awesome. You know? And then we developed a great strategy for how to clean our room. So what are you talking about? We've totally been obeying you. Like, we've totally been doing this. I would say, well, that's awesome. You know, thank you for memorizing that. I'm sure that was really challenging for you. Uh, that's cool that you dreamt about it, right? But I, I just want you to clean your room. That's what it looks like to actually hear my words and do something with them, right? In the same way, Jesus' words are meant to be followed, not merely known, because they lay a foundation in your life. Why is the foundation so important? Because of verse 48. What does it say? Jesus isn't giving you like a worst-case scenario. He's not saying, hey, just in case a flood comes, you'll be glad you did. No, what does he say? He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and when a flood arose, Jesus is telling you about something that's going to happen in your life. He's telling you something about it. This, this image here that Jesus gives you has actually two horizons in view, and they're really important. You know, like a horizon, you can see one range of the mountains, and then you can maybe see beyond that range to another range of the mountains, right? There's two horizons in view. The first horizon that he's talking about in your life is the difficulties that you're going to face, like the storms of life, right? You're not going to walk through this life unscathed. It's going to happen. And when crisis hits, what you've been building upon is exposed. It is. And so is the foundation you've been building off of able to withstand the suffering in this world? Does it give you a worldview? Does it give you certain responses to evil? Does it give you a way of understanding suffering in this world? Your foundation is exposed during the hard times. Let me just be pointed. What has 2020, what has this pandemic, what has the frustrations with school, the, the loss of a job maybe, what is the political climate that you're frustrated with? What is that revealing about your foundation? Is it proving that Jesus' words are the ground beneath your feet? The second horizon, though, Jesus is talking about is the final judgment. The final judgment. You can think back to the story of Noah, right, where God sends a flood to judge the earth. Remember that story? That, that image of flooding has then been associated often with the act of judgment in the Bible. So there is a day coming when there will be no more pretending, right? But what we have staked our lives on will be laid bare. And the ones who have found their footing truly in Jesus as the cornerstone, they will be left standing. The ones who know how to talk and the ones who really know the right words to say will be exposed. John Bunyan, in his famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress, um, has different characters in the book that are very one-dimensional characters. They're called a very literal thing. It's like an allegory so that you would read that person's character and it'd be kind of a mirror to your life. And he has a character in that book called Talkative. His name is Talkative. If it's possible, it should be on the screen, this quote for you. But in that book, this is what he says. The soul of religion 
is the practical part. He quotes James next, "'Be pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world.'" this talkative is not aware of. He thinks that hearing and saying will make a good Christian, and thus he deceives his own soul. Hearing is but the sowing of the seed. Talking is not sufficient to prove that fruit is indeed in the heart and life. Let us assure ourselves that at the day of doom, men shall be judged according to their fruits. It will not then be said, did you believe? But were you a doer or a talker only? And accordingly they shall be judged." The end of the world is compared to our harvest. And you know, men at harvest regard nothing but fruit. What we mustn't do here is think that what saves us is our obedience. If that's the case, all our houses would fall, right? We know this. None of us would be saved on that last day. We know that we are not saved by our own works we are saved by Jesus's works alone, right? That's the message of the gospel. He is the cornerstone. Yet, when we believe Him as our Savior, when we confess Him as Lord, our belief manifests itself in obedience. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. That my belief manifests itself in the way that I'm actually living. That's why when we get to the end and we stand before God, we are judged by our actions. That image of Jesus separating the sheep from the goat, that's what, that's what it's getting at, right? Were you mere talk or was I someone who actually put it into practice? Guys, there's a reason why we never see people building elaborate homes on the beach. Like literally, no, I don't know anybody who's done it. Okay? You can build a castle on the beach. I don't know if you're going to be made to live in it, right? Maybe a fool. I don't know. But no one's probably going to live in it. Why? Because we all know that when the water hits its base, the thing is going to be sunk because the foundation is terrible. So praise be to God then. Praise be to God. Seriously, praise be to God that our faith is not built on my good ideas, it's not built on anybody's ideas. It's not built on some group of people's ideas about God. Even praise God that the foundation that everything else rests on in Christianity is none other than the crucified and resurrected Son of God Himself, Jesus. We, we build our lives upon Him and His sacrificial triumphant love. Jesus, you guys, is the ground beneath our feet that the rest of the building can crumble, but He will remain. He, he's the only one worth following then, is He not? Isn't he the only one worth following? We, we might say, yes, of course, of course. But when we sit around in the hard times and we find ourselves abandoning his teaching, we find ourselves abandoning him, and we have a loving brother or sister in Christ come to us and say, hey, remember this? They encourage you, they rebuke you, they call you back. Do you say, yes, I know that, but? There's really no but. There is no but. Jesus is the only person worth following in this season and in the next season, today and tomorrow, a week ago, a month ago, on your deathbed. Look at the fruit from his life. He's the only one who is found in each one of these commandments and descriptions of, of this whole chapter. Is he not? 
Jesus never calls you to do something that He hasn't already done. I mean, if you look at the Beatitudes, Jesus is the one who experienced poverty. He experienced hunger. He was the man of sorrows. He was hated even to the point of death. He, he didn't sit in an ivory tower and say to you, do as I do, not do as I say, not as I do. He didn't say that to us. He loved his enemies. Enemies being me and you. He blessed those who cursed them by becoming a curse for them. He prayed for those who abused him by saying, Father, forgive them. He's the one who never had a log in his eye, let alone a speck in his eye, yet he didn't come and just say, look at your junk there and look at your junk there. Oh, you're the worst person. Look how awesome I am. He didn't use that to make him feel better about himself. Instead, instead he says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. That's what I've come here to do. He never bore one single bad fruit. There's no bad apple on Jesus' tree. It's then foolish to build a house without a foundation. It is even more foolish not to listen to Jesus. I fall asleep during movies all the time. I'm really bad at it. If we don't start the movie by 8.30, good night. I think the worst part to fall asleep during is the conclusion, is it not? You get through the whole thing, the last 10 minutes, you fall asleep, you wake up to the music playing and the credits rolling, and you get really, if you're like me, you're like, are you serious? So what do you do? You rewind it, don't you? Because we all know if you miss the conclusion, you kind of miss the point of the, the movie. You kind of miss it, don't you? Guys, as we come to the conclusion of Luke 6 and Jesus' famous sermon, he doesn't leave us wondering what his point is. And if we miss this, we miss the whole sermon itself. Worse yet, you miss life. Let's not fall asleep. We should hear his invitation to enter his grace and experience the assurance that he offers. If you find yourself in the Beatitudes, hear that word of comfort. Your day is coming. Yours is the kingdom. Right? We should follow his call to love in a way that's different from the world, being merciful and gracious to others. We should be people who work on our own faults rather than just simply those of other people. And to follow these words of Jesus because Jesus is a teacher of light. He will not allow you to fall into the pit. So Luke is telling us there is but one who is worthy of being followed, and his name is Jesus. He's the only one. So let's treasure him in our hearts and experience his words as the ground beneath our feet. Father God, this morning, we are so thankful that you are the rock on which we stand, that all other ground is sinking sand. God, I know I've experienced that sand a lot in my life. I've also experienced you as that strong foothold. God, I, I thank you for how you are so dependable, you are reliable. God, that we really can trust you no matter what is it you're calling us to, trusting that your way is best. Lord, I do pray that you would transform our lives. If there's any listening or here today that do not know you, God, I do pray that you would speak to them, that they would receive you as their Lord, their Savior. And God, I pray for the rest of us that we want to be people who view you and your gospel is just a walk down memory lane, but you would be our portion, God. You would be our treasure in our life, and that would radically transform us. 
pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.